The following is a production of Galactic Netcasts. Welcome to Elsinor is a production of Galactic Netcast. I'm Gregor Sprague. And I'm Corey Scott. For all info on this show, including show notes and subscription links, go to elsnerds.com. And for other Galactic Netcast programs, go to gncast.com. On Elsnerds, we tend to shoot our mouths off without thinking, so we will both spoil things and we will swear liberally. Yes, we will. And now for some headlines. The first headline is the Superman prequel Krypton gets sci-fi pilot order. David Goyer project taps showrunner and director. Yeah. So Goyer is of course, one of the people he used to write for DC. He's become very predominant in the, uh, handling of the DC move to films and kind of hit or miss, but so he's been working on this Krypton pilot for a while. And this takes place in the past having to do with Jor-El's father. So, Superman's grandfather on the series and the house of L is in kind of a bad state. Uh, they're not really looked at with much respect at the point that this is going on. It's, it's, it's Superman's Gotham is I guess what we're saying, except we can't have Superman running around as a little kid because we know he was sent to earth as a baby. <laughs> we could conceivably have Kara. Yeah. Um, and the showrunner is, um, I, I cannot find his first name, but his last name is Kindler. And he's um, where he served on this last season of Sleepy Hollow over at Fox as executive producer. And he was over there for the first three seasons. And he also worked on where he, where he also created shows for sci-fi, including Sanctuary. And he worked on Stargate in Atlantis and Stargate SG-1. Yeah, it's Damian Kindler. Damian Kindler. So he's got a good pedigree. He he's uh he's not from I'm he's obviously he's done stuff with sci-fi. He's done stuff that's big in the genre community, uh some popular shows. Also, uh the director for the first episode for the pilot is Cole McCarthy from Peaky Blinders. So a there's some better here. Yeah, a very pro, uh, popular British uh, Netflix uh, show. Yeah. but So what do you think of the idea of doing a show about Krypton? Which, again, set in the past, set before there's a Superman, kind of laying groundwork of his history, a lot of which he doesn't even really know until much later in his life. And we I know how it's going to end. Yeah, I think it the comparison to um the the comparison to Gotham is pretty well deserved. And it it keeps me cautiously optimistic because this sounds great. It sounds like it sounds like being at sci-fi will be a great fit because you go over at Fox, they might have a where you might have a bigger budget, it might also bite you in the butt with the episodes getting aired out of order. I'm looking at Firefly. I'm looking at Almost Human. I'm looking at Terra Nova. I'm looking at basically any sci-fi genre show that has aired over on Fox. If more people looked at those shows, they probably would have stayed in the air longer. Um, so my curiosity is, how do they screw this up? Because one of the problems with Gotham is that they're introducing all of these other characters that are supposed to be Batman villains that he's supposed to fight, but he's only 12 or whatever in this show. And in this case, we're at least on a different planet. Nobody's supposed to have like the Superman type superpowers because they're still in a red sun. But what happens like if they... Obviously, elements can be introduced like Brainiac. We might see elements of Zod or Zod's ancestors. We might see elements of what would later become Doomsday or the Eradicator. 
But what if they somehow work out some historic way of meeting up with Luther or something stupid? That's what I'm worried about. Like, yeah, Superman's got all these great elements you want to steal from, but you don't want to steal from them to put them on a different planet across the universe. So what do they do? What is the what is the end game of doing this show about the history of Krypton before Krypton was really interesting? It, Krypton's interesting because it was destroyed. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, it's it's this dual-edged sword because you have this rich history that you can mess with, that you can deal with and and play with in a planet that in the mainstream media doesn't get a lot of attention. You know, never no one ever really tends to think of Krypton other than, oh, that's where Superman's from. You know, never any like hearing really many stories or, or searching out comics that feature stories about the Kryptonians before they messed up their planet and blew it up sort of deal. Um, so that's, that's sort of my thinking is, you know, it where the whole Gotham thing will work better or, you know, the whole Gotham comparison will work better um, there is still that area where they could mess it up by like with what you said with bringing in Lex Luthor or, you know, some of these other earth based villains. Yeah. And, and my only problem with these shows is that if they become a, a sort of telegraph to, oh, well, this is going to lead to this in Superman's life someday. And it's, it's all this foreshadowing for the sake of foreshadowing, which undersells just telling your own good or reasonably good stories in this setting that you wanted to use. It's like, okay, we're just prepping you for the Superman that'll never be here. That was Smallville. Smallville was years and years of not getting Superman mm-hmm. until the last episode. Um, I don't want that again. And that's what I'm worried about. Is that, yeah. is that going to be what they do or do they make this its own thing? That again, the inevitability is, but all these people will die, unless they get in the bottle of Candor. of Kandor. Mm-hmm. All right, the next little quick hit article is: the Russo brothers acquire the mastermind about Kingpin or criminal Kingpin. Um, filmmakers Joe and Anthony Russo, um, you know, who are doing this little itty bitty tiny film that no one's going to go watch called Captain America 3 Civil War. I love me independent films. (laughs) Um, But they're developing this um, with Skybound Entertainment, the people who bring you uh, such great, small, unknown shows like Breaking Bad, or not Breaking Bad, um, like uh, Walking Dead and um, the new show on uh, show, uh, Cinemax. Cinemax Outcast. Um, and this is one that our producer Beatmaster brought up about a couple hours ago. And this is intriguing because this to me, tell this just tells me that the Russo brothers are going to be incredibly busy for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I mean, it's it's in production with Skybound. It's kind of how big is their involvement in it. But the Russo brothers came from TV. A lot of people don't realize it. They came from community. And even after the Winter Soldier, they went back and helped on community on the uh, the Yahoo release of the final season so far for it, uh, which is why they had that great scene with the Dean fighting off all these guys in an elevator. Uh, <laughs> it was it was a cool throwback and it shows that they're not giving up on where they came from. Yeah. Which is great. You know, and that's that's kind of what you want to see. It's like James Gunn. James Gunn is still James Gunn. He had a huge success with Guardians of the Galaxy and he's of course working on the sequel right now. But he hasn't stopped being James Gunn and I think he's still going to do weird stuff. I think we might get more stuff that's similar to Slither or even how when he started um, originally with the trauma films, I don't see him disappearing from those kinds of projects just because he's got this big Hollywood hit. 
and that's great. And and you kind of want to see people stick to the things that they love. Just like any actor who does the big film, but then they do the independent films because that's where their heart is. Where oh, you just reminded me of something. I don't remember where I heard it, but it was um I, I, for some reason I'm picturing Ben Stiller being involved in this, but they they do the big production uh blockbuster film for for Hollywood and then they do the smaller thing that they want to make. I mean, that's essentially Brad Pitt or was Brad Pitt for a long time. Uh, That's what people used to say is that he would go and he'd make his giant, you know, big mainstream movie. And then he would back off and do a couple independent things here and there that were closer to his heart. And that's, that's way awesome. If you get to continue doing that um, and don't just say, well, I'm only going to show up in one movie for four days of filming a year. And then it's Mother's Day. I'm looking at you, old Julia Roberts. You're fooling nobody. That wig. <laughs> um. So the next bit, the next actually two bits of stories before we get into our big discussion topic is um, both coming up from the world of Netflix. And Netflix has commissioned um, the Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later for 2017. And... This with how everything went, and and I saw the movie. I loved the movie. Um, I I need to finish watching the uh, the prequel, uh, first day of camp, uh, series. But this, it still has me interested. It ha- still has me intrigued, just because of the fact that, like in my head, with how they were talking when um, David Wayne came on to um what was it i think it was the daily show it was like one of the last interviews with john stewart that john stewart did um he was talking about the show and he was talking about how like where it would go like continuing on and on where it'd be like them in preschool and they're all geriatric or whatever <laughs> sort of deal but i'm like it's almost like okay you sort of need to get a time machine now to do this because you need everyone to be really young in order to <laughs> do this that's kind of the point of what happens with the prequel is yeah. that the first the movie comes out and then they do the prequel, which is the beginning of summer of that same year. But they've all aged and in some cases aged really badly. <laughs> uh, and that's that's funny. It's part of the joke. And so now, at least moving forward 10 years, they might look adequately like themselves. I just love that this cast keeps wanting to come back to do this. You know, and the same thing, we've got some big people in this and it's, it's assuming at this point that all of them are going to come back. Yeah. Right now, the only confirmed is that David Wayne and Michael Showalter will return to write the eight part, eight part series and David Wayne will direct, but I'm pretty sure it's one of those things that, and again, this is, well, I would say storyline wise, but I'm pretty sure 80 miles would be able to come back because he's, you know he can take time away from from uh, the Tonight Show, as I think he's still the head writer for the Tonight Show. Um, but Paul Rudd, it Paul Rudd becomes tricky because of his of his schedule with Ant, with being Ant Man over at Marvel. Um, uh, Bradley Cooper, there is that, but it's with him being a voice character. Which yeah, is weird but to say. it's, it's weird. not like Bradley Cooper's just doing no. the voiceover for Rocket Raccoon. No, he's got he's got his his show Limitless as well that he produces and and pops in has a recurring role in there as well. And he's you know again he's not like it's not like those are the only focuses. And the they, random Oscar nominated movie every year that he winds up doing with Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah, and. But I mean, so I mean, I could see Amy Poehler, obviously. Yeah. Um, yeah, what's she doing? She got done with Parks and Rec, and she hasn't been. I'm joking. I yeah. freaking love Amy Poehler. Uh, um, but I think that's the whole thing: is that why would you even do this if it wasn't to bring this whole group back together? No, it's it's. I think it's it's probably it'll probably end up being one of the um one of the things. Like, like, uh, Joss Whedon doing, um, uh, much ado about nothing, you know, where it's like, they all happen to have 
or most of them have, you know, this one week off where they're not doing anything. So they're going to do this. And then the other bigger name, I don't want to say bigger names, but you know, the Paul Rudds who are incredibly busy and the Bradley Coopers who are incredibly busy being big Hollywood actors. And I'm not saying this in my head. It sounds like I'm being a douchebag, but I'm not saying this like, Oh, they're the important ones, but it's just the, like, cause they are the big ticket names right now that are in, you know, I watched uh, Paul Rudd on the tonight show from Friday the other day. And, and, you know, you see all these guys all fairly regularly because they're doing stuff in movies and theater in television, you know, they're keeping themselves busy, but it could also bite them in the butt when they want to do, when they want to get back and hang out with their friends and film a, an eight episode TV series. I just want to say it's it's good if if you are a douchebag every once in a while. It'll make it seem less of a big deal when I'm doing it. <laughs> Keep the heat down on me. Yeah. Um, and then the second bit of news, um, is pretty interesting. Pretty, I actually I am really excited for this news. It makes me need to finish watching Daredevil season two. Um, but the Punisher is getting his own Netflix TV show. Uh, John Bernthal is coming back. You and you've probably heard the news numerous times, but whatever. We're going to say it again. John Bernthal is going to re- reprise his role as Frank Castle, um, and the writer and executive producer Steve Lightfoot, who worked on Hannibal and Casualty, will serve as the showrunner. So, I mean, that's really cool. I mean, that's, and this will be the with the Marvel Netflix deal. This will be the sixth um series ordered so far yeah and so almost surprising nobody because as soon as we saw john barenthal as the punisher not even in the show just still just the announcement of like hey this guy's gonna play the punisher well shit yeah he's gonna play the punisher look at him uh and then he did a phenomenal job which goes to the the whole cast of the show everything worked together really well the writing the the directing and everything brought together i'm not even a big punisher fan the only punisher stuff i've ever liked was by garth ennis yeah and to see them do such amazing things to make me give a crap about this character uh was was pretty incredible and i'm glad it's happening now they haven't said anything about if he's having any kind of relationship to the Defender series, that still isn't really scheduled. We've had two seasons of Daredevil now. We're going to get a second season of Jessica Jones. We know that the Power Man first season has been filmed or is filming. And we've now seen stills from Iron Fist finally, which has finally been cast. And we're getting some information. But Punisher is there. He's in that universe. Uh, other spoilers for Daredevil season two. Elektra is there and in that universe. We have a potential for Hellcat in this universe. So there's a lot of things that we could draw from that almost becomes as big as Civil War is with the amount of characters that you could pull in. But at that same point, with some of them, I would almost see a a marvel netflix movie as opposed to a 13 episode season or series even for that matter because you get a point you you almost come to a point where either marvel goes we need a we need a um set our own separate section in netflix or the um or, you know, they go, well, we're going to do this on our own over on Marvel.com, which I don't see them doing that one because, you know, they're probably getting a lot of, you know, heat. Well, not heat, but they, they would get a lot of heat from it, but they're getting a lot of, it, it's, it's an extra outlet there to do that. Yeah, but think about it this way. Contracts are already signed. Mm-hmm. If, if you were Marvel and you had the ability to say to Robert Downey Jr. and Chris Evans and Helmsworth and Renner and all these guys, and you say, 
hey, the way the contract is laid out, instead of getting a two-hour movie or a four-hour movie split into two parts with you guys, we're going to do 10 hours of story with you guys. Um, wouldn't you do that? Yeah, but you run into a you run into a thing for the the fan where all they're watching on Netflix is Marvel stuff. Marvel stuff. Yeah. yeah. But it but <laughs> and then, but and then overlapping. Like because you 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 would get to a point of such saturation where they'd be like Coming up in in April on the first week of April is the third season of Daredevil and the second season of Luke Cage, and it's like and people are you know either binge watching one and then binge watching another or they're like all right here because they they want to be like Flash and Arrow where you can watch them and re- realize that they're in a relatively say the same timeline as you're going through the series. Well, I mean, what you just said seems exactly like what everybody says about superhero movies mm-hmm. which is the oversaturation point which is not proven true yet at all at least as far as marvel is concerned secondly what you also described is kind of like what they already tried to do with agents of shield and agent carter yeah. which is when agents of shield stops we have a space there we can put agent carter in so that we don't lose viewers in that time frame for when Agents of Shields come back, you you just continue watching this hour every week in this spot. You know it's your Marvel hour. Mm-hmm. I don't see a single reason why Marvel would say, "Oh, we're we're afraid we're going to oversaturate our Netflix viewing audience." All it's going to do is make them more powerful in their dealings with Netflix for signing that next thing. Yeah, but also I think the other problem with it is that. A lot of these characters, I don't think, need a 13-episode se- uh, season. No, absolutely. I absolutely think you, not. Yeah, I think, you know, Hellcat, you could get a, a movie and have it be a Netflix original movie franchise. I'm not saying a Hellcat show. I'm saying showing up in The Defenders. Oh, no, yeah. That's but, what I, I was talking about. But no, yeah, that but still. We've got, we've got a Punisher now. We've got an Electra now. I'll throw Electra in there, too. Electra, yeah, I mean, necessarily... we have to find out what the state is of these characters by the time we get there because we still have seasons to get through. And you also don't want to have so many characters that it's not a comprehensive story into and of itself. Mm-hmm. But we thought when they announced the Netflix shows, we thought it was going to be a season of each character and then Defenders. And so we thought there was a pretty much a solid plan a map i imagine there was a map of getting from a to b to c to d and then finally e but that's obviously changed as seasons have gotten renewed and more stories come out and more things are getting introduced before defenders seven hits that's kind of like what is the plan on defenders now has it altered what was the storyline in the first place or it was just like well we'll have them and we'll see what we can make yeah I don't know. Well, only, I, this is one of those that only time can tell. And strangely enough, folks, these aren't even our big story topic that we're going to be talking about. Our big story is from a person that we're we're fans of, to be honest. Uh, these, I'll speak for myself here. I'm a fan of him. Um, the Doctor Strange screenwriter says they knew social justice warriors would be angry over the ancient one. And this is coming from an interview that C. Robert Cargill, the writer of Doctor Strange, who also used to write for Ain't It Cool News as Massa Worm, has been on the Night Attack NSFW BB Live Show podcast numerous times um, and wrote the um, Insidious movies, I believe, or no, Sinister um, movies for our host of Podcasts of Terror over here, uh, over here. Um, he said on on Double Toasted that he knew that the Ancient One is a cultural landmine. And this is a direct quote uh, from there. There is no other character in Marvel history that is such a cultural landmine that is absolutely unwinnable, said Cargill. I've been reading a bunch of, I've been reading, reading a bunch of people talking about it, and the really frustrating thing about it this week is that most of the people who have thoughts on it haven't thought it all the way through and they go, why didn't they just do this? And it's like, 
I could tell you why. I could tell you why every single decision that involves the Ancient One is a bad one. And just like the Kobayashi Maru from Star Trek, it all comes down onto which way you're willing to lose. So this brings up an interesting point um, because he, he later goes on to say that um, if you were to cast a uh, a t- because the uh, ancient one is traditionally a Tibetan monk or is is you know Tibetan, but China, where you get what was it? Um, I think a third of the profits, if not more, from the movies doesn't recognize Tibet as a country. So how are you going to say that he is Tibetan? Um, in here or she, you know is is tibetan or you know well she could be asian is another brought up but then you're like okay well she could be japanese she could be indian she could be chinese she could be korean you know she could be filipino that's a big yeah that's a big way to say that's like saying that every white person is automatically from america or they could be british or they could be scottish or they could be from Ireland, or they could be German, or, or yeah, I, they could be Russian to throw in the Asian thing because Russia is in Asia. Yeah, exactly. So it is a minefield, and so the first thing that is the the trigger word in this, uh, which is now what it's become, is the term social justice, social justice warrior. Yeah, which is immediately like everything that you are trying to say, I am now going to diminish by labeling you as this thing. So if you if you have an opinion on this, automatically you're an SJW. That's the first reaction to to what he says. And I would agree. Mm-hmm. I would agree that just the way that he said it is he's starting shit. And maybe he wanted to start shit. Maybe that's a good thing to do because it gets people talking. We're obviously going to talk about it. But a lot of people have had a lot to say going into this conversation. And then his Twitter bombs dropped and a lot more was said after that. Not Mm -hmm. kindly about him because whose side are you really on? And is there a side to have in this? So... We off air talked a little bit about this last week Mm -hmm. and we talked about who is the ancient one and is the race of this character what matters? Um, And are we predetermining the race of this character based off of who they are in the Marvel comic series when that's not necessarily who they are in the film? Yeah. And that that's sort of my thing. We we talked a little bit about the movie Aloha that came out last year and had a lot of problems um, because they cast a, a, <laughs> a great actress, a very, yeah. very enjoyable actress in a role. But they said that she was playing someone that was of Hawaiian descent. Um, and she's not. Well, and she, not, well, not only Hawaiian descent, but was half Japanese, I believe is. Right. Half Japanese. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily Samoan or, or what the other half was. But yeah. And, and she's obviously a Caucasian blonde woman playing this part. And it may be something that they tried to explain in the film of why she looks so different from both of these races that she's supposed to be portraying, but it just came across really wrong. And that's, you know, you could argue that it's the actress's fault for taking the role uh, that should have gone to someone who actually maybe was of that denomination. Um, Certainly it seems like it was a bad part on casting or the writer for saying that this is who this character is. And if it's so important in the story that you even state that, why would you then choose an actress I, who doesn't fit that part? You're talking about the ancient one now, right? And not all. 
Uh, no, I'm I'm still talking about okay. Aloha. Because with Ancient One, that's the thing is we have no idea other than the fact that it's called the Ancient One and is a mystical force of some kind that is training Doctor Strange in this film. No idea what this character is. Yeah. You know, it, it's it's like assuming that it's Peter Parker and the mask in the Spider-Man role in Civil War. Now, yes, we've been told that it's this actor who's obviously white and British, although Peter Parker's not British, um, playing Peter wait, Parker. Wait, Tom Holland's British? I think so. Keep am talking. I am I talking out of turn? No, um, keep talking. So, um, so we know that it's it's Peter Parker, but realistically, he shows up on the screen in a Spider-Man outfit. If we didn't have that background telling us, we wouldn't know who it was under the mask. Um, it, it's okay, and it's not unlike Marvel to say things are a little different in this. In the second Iron Man, we had a character. Uh, the who did make your work play? Oh, uh, Whiplash. Whiplash. Who who didn't really seem like Whiplash from the comics at all? Was actually yeah. a very different character. We've seen them move away from uh, Mandarin. Beatmaster is mentioning Mandarin. Yeah. Mandarin is in our minds one thing. Also, technically, and a not very great depiction yeah. of, of Asian characters. Um, but and my, then they have whole... Kingsley, anyways. Yeah, my my whole thing with this is that, and it's it's a real simple one. I look at the ancient one in here as being similar to um, the Avatar on Avatar The Last Airbender and Legend of Korra. Because you go in there and in this universe, it's not everyone is Asian. You know, you see this diversity of colors, you know, where people look, some people look more, look Asian, other people look more Samoan, other people look white, other people look black. Unless you're talking about the live action movie, in which case. Uh, Which, 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 (laughs) I'm sorry, they made a live action movie? No, (laughs) No, they didn't. That's right. They couldn't even get the name of the character right. (laughs) But so I look at it this way as the ancient one is, or even better because it's one you cannot deny the doctor. The doctor from Doctor Fucking Who. Sorry, I had to do, I had to be the first to actually swear on the show. Um, but he's regenerated over and over and over again, and his arch villain best friend, the Master, has regenerated over and over again, and swapped genders and all this stuff. Now, generally, yeah, he's been white, but you've had Londoners, you've had, you know. People from the north of England, Scotsmen, Scotsmen playing Londoners, sort of deal. And so that's where I, how I look at with with the ancient one is, yeah, this is a this is a role that if you want to be one of those super uber traditionalists, should be played by a Tibetan or you know someone of Tibetan descent. But looking at it financially, you wouldn't just say, hey, a th- people who would go see this uh, and give us a third of our money no just go away well i mean in the i'm gonna assume the it was the 80s uh there was a movie called remo williams the adventure begins and the remo williams character gets trained by this guy named chun and chun is the ancient master you know very stereotypical ancient master teaching some white guy how to fight. Um, Karate Kid is like that. It's it's a lot of different things. But Chun was played by a Caucasian actor dressed up to look Asian. And that's just how it was. And that's sometimes how it still is. It's it's not great. If we are portraying Asian people on screen, then it should be Asian actors doing it. Yeah. Uh, just like if we're portraying Native American people on screen, it should preferably be Native Americans 
and so on and so forth. That said, Marvel has changed the race of characters before. People were literally begging Marvel to change the race of Danny Rand, the Iron Fist, to be an Asian actor because there hasn't been enough of that or any of that yet in any of the Marvel films. And they're just like, yeah, we should do this. Marvel, go do this. So they're they're kind of asking for two different things. It's not cool if you change Kingpin to black in Daredevil. It's not cool if you change Johnny Storm to black in Fantastic Four. But it's cool if you change Danny okay, Rand fine. to Asian. I, I, agree, I agree with part of that first statement there of the, with the Kingpin comment, but with an asterisk. And that is... Unless it's Michael Clark Duncan. No, I mean, it is cool. It absolutely yeah. is cool. I'm talking about the people who are having a problem with it. No, I, yeah. like I Now, mean, I don't think those are the same people. I don't. But it's you can't have it both ways. So if you're saying people should get over themselves because this character has been turned black and people should get over themselves that this character is is not I think I honestly think it's Asian. a case-by-case basis. Right. It's... Because- it's goddamn Marvel's stuff. They yeah. can choose to make what they want to make. All they have to do is be very clear in saying Tilda Swinton's not playing an Asian man. No. <laughs> She's not. So don't look at the screen and be confused. Why does an Asian man look like a little blonde woman? Um, Bald blonde woman. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's well, eyebrows. <laughs> but no, like... Like to hit on the Danny Rand thing real quick, I don't, I wouldn't, and I'm not a writer. I don't claim to be, I don't play one on TV, but I don't see Danny Rand as anything but a white man because a lot of his story, especially with, oh, what was the recent one that I cannot think of who wrote it um, at Marvel Comics, you had his backstory of being in this dojo. And it's this might sound a little racist, and I apologize, but it works in my opinion better if it's a white man learning kung fu or you know whatever martial art it might be, as opposed to a Korean or a Chinese person or Japanese or whatever. It's a fish be- out of water story. Yeah, yeah, because exactly like that because it is a fish out of water story. You right. Know, it's it's the reason why the Karate Kid both versions you know and i'm, I'm gonna include the later one with uh with uh jaden smith and their worked is because they were fish out of water stories you know it was you know here him learning this whole thing and then being taken to it so well that he gets the power of the iron fist and becomes the iron fist and all that stuff that to me is is the cool part it's not it doesn't to me it doesn't matter i'm like stephen colbert and the colbert report i don't see race you don't so, see color um yeah, i don't see color i do i i absolutely do and i understand i totally understand why people feel like it's it's counterintuitive to the the forward moving that we're seeing finally in comics um it, is that Oh, we're taking all these steps forward, but then something really just blatantly bad happens and we take all these steps back. And some people are arguing is like some people just want to argue. Let's let's put it that way. Some people just mm-hmm. want to fight. And I mean that from both sides. I mean, there are people who just are so mad and, you know, use the term soldier justice warrior haphazardly thinking that it's, you know, well, if you want equality, then you know, obviously you've got an agenda. Yeah, my agenda is for everybody to feel included. Well, that's just wrong. You know, why not just blah, blah, <laughs> this? And it's about ethics and journalism and uh, whatever else. Um, fuck those let's guys. Just alienate, let's just alienate all the people here, Corey. Come on. I, I will alienate them all. I hate those people. <laughs> I hate those types of people. But there's the other side has gotten so loud in the same kind of respect because it's like, well, don't tell Marvel what to do when they're making strides forward. Oh, wait, Marvel didn't make this stride forward that they that we think they should have 
we're going to tell Marvel what to do. Yeah. It, it's, it's kind of, you're, you're ruining what you're fighting for. And yeah. that, that bums me out because as always, I want to, I want to be an ally. I want to be a supporter and I, I agree with where you're coming from, but I'm not saying choose your battles, but remember what you're actually fighting for. And is it always about fighting or is it about growing? Yeah. You know, and, and maybe even leading, you know, I don't want to pull somebody's kicking and screaming into the century, but I would like to help them get there. And so it's not about, you know, let's, let's go to Bruce Lee and just say, be water, you know, let, let stuff flow. Don't sit there and just take and deal out punches. Yeah. Um, so let's, we're going to go, we're going to move on to our, our top, our next subject, our next area called nerding out. And, um, this is where me and Corey have both picked one thing that we are nerding out over. And, um, Corey, you want to go first? No, you go ahead. All right. So mine is, um, here's a quote from the Amazon page exuberantly colorful all ages tribute to girl power this is gem and the holograms you can get uh, volume one which collects the first six issues i believe yes um yes. and which means a uh, volume two should be coming out here pretty soon actually there are a volume two and i believe a volume three available uh oh, okay I put, I put the volume one link in because i believe it is available through comiXology yeah, um, and because you got to start somewhere. Oh yeah, that's right. Sorry, I- I'm remembering. Oh, uh, volume three is coming out, um, soon because volume three is where I just ended up with. Um, but sorry, so vo- you have volume one. Um, what was the name of volume one? Volume one, Showtime. Showtime. Volume two is viral, and then volume three is Dark Gem. And this is where I ended up here is the Dark Gem one with issue 14. Um, and this has the the typical... This is what the movie could have been. That movie that pretty sure a lot of Gem the Holograms fans are going to be like, that movie doesn't exist. Like how I've blotted out Green Lantern and um, Avatar The Last Air, but excuse me, Avatar The Last Airbender and I'm pretty sure everyone's going to blot out Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and you know, I can go out and naming lists of things that people forget. Um, But this is a great book. I mean, Corey, so you grew up in, you are older than me, so you've grown up in the 80s when the cartoon came out. So have you read this, uh, any of Gem and the Holograms comic book? I've not read the comic yet. Uh, I do know that it the artwork is by Sophie Campbell, yes. uh, who did the artwork for Glory uh, at Image before this. Mm-hmm. And I'm really a big fan of Sophie's artwork. And I'm interested in the book, but it was one of those things that I was probably going to wait until the collections were. And it was more that I was going to get it for my friends who are bigger Gem and the Hologram fans. But yeah, in the 80s, as strange as it is, it might seem, uh, maybe it was just we were cartoon starved or something, but my friend and I watched Jim. He was kind of hardcore into it, and he had a little sister and a younger brother, and I'm sure maybe the excuses it was on when, when he walked in the room or something, but he was definitely into the cartoon and had, you know, a... He had a crush on one of the characters, like you do, Kitty Pryde. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> but it was it had good stories. It had a good feel to it. It it was empowering towards female characters, which kind of happened a lot in the eighties. But a lot of the things were you've got a team of guys and then one woman who happens to be psychic. That <laughs> was so many things. It's like, yeah, this dude has this power, and this dude has this power, and this dude is like all Wolverine and stuff. And then this girl, she's got telekinetic or telepathic powers. And she's the one. You know, this was this was about the female characters. This was about Jem mm-hmm. uh or her main persona and you know her sister and her band. 
And then the um, the people that they kind of went up against were another female band until the second season when they introduced another group. But it was just it was great because it was something that could be watched by guys and enjoyed by guys. It wasn't dumbing anything down. It wasn't just setting up really stereotypical ideas. It was cool adventures that starred and were about women. That's my review of this comic in, in basics. Um, no, because this, I asked you that mainly to get an idea on what the heart of the show was, because when I was born in 1989, I didn't really watch a lot of stuff from a lot of the cartoons from then. I grew up on the uh, WB stuff like Animaniacs, um, Justice League, uh, Batman the Animated Series. Um, you know, uh, Spider-Man, the animated series, you know, stuff like that. Um, so to get an idea on what, on this, it, it's great. And it's, that's basically, you meet the, the tagline here is you meet Jerrica Benton, um, a girl with a secret, her and her sister, Kimber team up with her two friends to become Gem and the holograms. Um, and it's not so much just, you know, that she's this, <laughs> Cor- uh, B, I apologize and Corey, I apologize for making you guys feel old, but facts are facts um but there's this whole thing and it's it's right up there with lumberjanes for me where you're where it's gonna make everyone feel included everyone feel nice um because you have like you have the character stormer who is um who who is a lesbian and um stormer from the misfits yeah stormers from the misfits who is and, who my friend had the crush on yeah um and then oh who was it um i can't i can't think what her name is but she's the on if you look at the cover she's uh oh it's kimber sorry it's kimber she's they both have a a thing for each other and it's this so for the first two volume well actually into the third one a little bit too there's this um romeo and juliet style thing of you know star-crossed lovers but they're on warring factions here um in the way but the it amps up really cool up to i think they've had the 14th issue out last week or no yeah last week um that if it's not the conclusion to the dark, uh, dark gem storyline is the penultimate issue to the dark dark gem storyline um just with the fact that you have that their things have happened and you're starting to see conclusions to these things and i'm i'm trying to remain spoiler free for people of the comics i will say though it is really interesting to see music done in a book um you know it's interesting to see how they portray that without having sound. Yeah. And it works. That's something that I would be kind of curious about too, is how do you make that happen? Because the music is such a big part of. Yeah. And it works. It works. I mean, you have, there are times where like, if I'm reading in the car while we're driving somewhere or whatever, um, you know, I will skip over the songs a little bit, or I'll try to get the gist as I'm, bumping along these bumpy ass Michigan roads. Um, but I mean, it's well worth the pickup. I highly recommend um, getting the trade volumes. We, we will have links in our show notes for you, for everyone. Um, but yeah. And so Corey, you have a book that strangely enough, how fitting is it that we both chose comics that deal with music and in particularly uh relating to the 80s so um i'm not gonna say i copied you because you had yours in there before me and i was i was sitting at my grandma's house going well what am i going to talk about and i was reading gem and the holograms or i had just finished it and i'm like you know this is really good i could talk about this well as usual greg is dangling from my nuts so (laughs) the comic that i'm going to talk about (laughs) is phonogram uh it's actually volume three in the series it's subtitled the immaterial girl now phonogram is a book 
by uh, Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey. And it's actually one of the things that they first worked on together. It might be the very first thing they worked on together uh, at Image uh, way back in 2008, maybe. Maybe even earlier than that. Uh, the first volume is called Rue Britannia. Uh, they had a second volume called The Singles Club. I remember seeing ads for Phonogram in the back of some image comic. And it was basically like you're being invited to a secret party. And it's all about the the dancing and the music and everything. And it kind of works in a little bit of magic into it. And that's what this series kind of focuses on. Is that the series is about a group of a coven of phonomancers, and they are people who use music, uh, in most cases Britpop, to use their magic to make their magic work. Uh, so it relates to dancing. There's a lot of insertion of lyrics and stuff. All of these books, uh, be they the collections or the single issues have a glossary at the back where it's kind of like a Wikipedia of what songs were quoted in the, in the book. And if you're like me and you grew up in the hard rocking eighties, there's not a lot of warrant and twisted sister and uh winger in this for me to go, Oh yeah, I would have, I would have fit right in here. No, I probably wouldn't have. But they make it very accessible. And this volume is almost the most accessible when it comes to the music. Because this volume relates a lot to music videos. So mm-hmm. uh, a main character of this story is Emily Astor. And she's she's been in the series pretty much from the beginning. The second volume had single-issue stories. So they were about the various characters. So one of the stories was about her... Uh, a lot of the stuff before that had to deal with David Cole, who's also in this. Uh, he was the main character in the first volume. A lot of other characters, Indy Dave, uh, Lloyd and Laura, Kid with Knife, all show up. But Emily Astor's deal is that at some point a few years ago, she gave up half of her personality. Uh, she gave it away to a kind of magical spirit inside of her TV in a music video. And she locked that part away so that the part of her that was left would be more successful, uh, more powerful, essentially. But this other part of her wants back out and figures a way to kind of reverse the deal. Uh, Because it was, you take half of my personality, but it wasn't really stated which half. Um, so she gets pulled in to music videos from the past and is being kept captured there while the other aspect of her, who is much more goth in nature, uh, comes out and tries to destroy her life, both emotionally and with her friends and her job and physically. She starts cutting herself and uh, her personality changes. She winds up sleeping with a guy that she would have never slept with. A lot of these things are happening, and she disbands the coven, uh, the group who all meet together to basically utilize music to make magic together. Um, This is also kind of later in their lives as well. So if you've read the story from the beginning, uh, the characters have gotten older. They look like the 10 years later on Wet Hot American Summer, in a way. Yeah. but what's really cool about this, if you're just looking at it from the the nostalgia music aspect, she's going through what were very, very popular music videos in the 80s. Uh, the most obvious one and the first one that you really kind of see is the AHA Take On Me video. But you see references to Madonna. You see references to Dire Straits. Uh, And you see references to Michael Jackson and actually culminates with uh, Michael Jackson's death. Yeah. Which is also an interesting thing because this book just got released. The collection just got released last week, right at the point where we had just lost Prince. And how would this have been written if it was happening a year later? 
because everything that you can say about these are artists, Prince is as much a part of that scene as as any of them. And would this have been taken differently? Yeah, there's one part I'm going to read from the Amazon page. You search up for Phonogram Volume Three. It's you'll never look at Take on Me's, or, or you you'll never look at Take on Me's video the same way ever again. I don't yeah. look at the song the same or listen to the song the same way. It's played um, a few times in my store when I'm working, and I immediately go to the comic, to the scenes, interputting um, Emily Astor in there. And yes, I know it's aha, but the video take on me. I'm, I was quoting the page beat. No, I think he's he's making it sound like revelation. Yeah. Aha. Yeah. Or that. Yeah. Sorry. Um, jokes have been have been flying over my head recently. <laughs> Since the 80s. <laughs> so, yeah, this is a phenomenal read, but it does kind of work better if you've read the earlier stuff. It, I found phonogram not just from that ad i mentioned earlier but i actually went back and read the older stuff because of a different book that mckelvey did called suburban glamour which kind of has similar themes it's a different character in it and it's more to do with uh fey and changelings but it feels like it's coming from some of the same magic uh so i went and i read that and i was like oh i really like this i should check out phonogram and see what else is there and at that point in time i think the second series was just about to come out it was hard to find the first series the collection now all these things are available this book actually was supposed to come out it was announced in 2012 and kept getting pushed back because of things that they were doing like uh young avengers and then when they finished up young avengers they went directly to the wicked and the divine and while both of those are great things i think this is just this is the beginning. This is where the magic started to happen. And there's something kind of amazing to see where they got their start together. And it's it's like listening to a band you really like, but listening to their first album after listening to their more recent stuff and just kind of finding that purity there, that, that raw, like everything saved up and we're giving her all in this first record and you know this is us this is completely us before you get high level producers before you're writing for the single you just lay it all on the line that first album and that's usually that that kind of cherry rush is almost the best thing that they will ever make um obviously there's something that be said for down the line getting to be better musicians getting to be better artistry but that first hit of like, oh, okay, I like what these guys are doing. That's that's kind of what you get from this. And it all just kind of relates back to music with this. And that's that's the magic of the book. And well, I, I think that's a part of what uh, Kieran Gillen and, uh, and, and Jamie McCovey have done with their writing for a while. Because I got in or hooked on th- them through Young Avengers. Yeah. Um. Because I came in at the like really started reading comics at the Marvel Now, DC's New Fifty Two launch, and so and so it was that like it especially the the last issue of um Young Avengers where there was or the last two issues where there was a playlist that if you're reading it you played the songs it sort of it it synced up and stuff. And so, and, and yeah, I mean, it's like music is very influential in their work and it, it, it really shows. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just the care, the thought process, the, the, the fact of you read it and it's, it's basically, it's building a soundtrack in your mind at the same time. Uh, this is what Spotify was made for. Mm-hmm. To me, this is like you you read this book and you go and you put on Spotify and someone's made the playlist for it. And you just listen along as you're reading uh, or you listen to it later and you just kind of let your mind drift back the story and explore those corners that you didn't really get to look at directly as you were reading it. That to me is is a brilliant type of art. Yeah. And uh, I I really hope 
that something else comes with this series. They kind of end at a point where it looks like it's getting sort of passed on to the next generation of the the Funimancers. And I'd, I'd like to see that next generation get their stories told too. Yeah. Well, I think that's just about to do it here for us. So you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 or our email mail at elsinners.com. For all our subscription options and links can be found under the subscribe tab at gncast.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot C-O-M. And you can join our Facebook page under Galactic Netcasts and follow follow the show on Twitter at Elsnerds or the network at Galactic Netcasts. And you can follow our producers at Beatmaster80 and at Mr. Underscore Fusion. And you can find me on Twitter. I'm at that Gregor. And Corey is at Don't Ask Comics. And you can also find my comics at donutscomics.com. Yes. And the final thing, I guess, to be said is this has been a Don't Tell Glenn production. We will see you guys next time. Take care, everybody. You have been listening to a production of Galactic Netcasts. For more about this show and others, go to gncasts.com. That's G-N-C-A-S-T-S dot com.